Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and this is the Highlighter Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the Highlighter Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope that you had a wonderful and restful Thanksgiving break. Today on the show, I'm very excited to have Olivia Morales. She is a wonderfully talented social studies teacher who currently teaches in New Orleans, but up until this year taught in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're going to talk about that, and we're also going to be talking about the Nationalist Delusion, which was an article in last week's newsletter, which if you haven't read, you definitely should. And one more thing is that Olivia is part of Teacher Beast along with teacher Aaron Brandvold. The whole point of Teacher Beast, and by the way, it's on Instagram, is to make sure that teachers are not just working hard in the classrooms, but are also taking care of themselves. Let's get right to that interview. Well, hello there, Olivia. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. I've been excited all week. I'm very happy that you're here. For the uh, podcast listening audience out there, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Olivia Morales. I am originally from California, most recently from the Bay Area, um, before that the Central Valley, and I decided to move to New Orleans. <laughs> impulsively, impulsively decided yes. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear more, but first, uh, how did you choose to become a social studies teacher? Um, well, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher for a long time, and I had a high school teacher my junior uh, year for U.S. history who was just incredible and made history come alive for me, and um, from then and in, into college, that's what I was interested in, and um, and then I figured through social studies, there's just such a neat way to connect it to students and their personal lives and bringing different narratives um, alive, whether it be the students or from history. So, Yeah, and, and you focused mostly on government and U.S. Yes. history, is that Most true? recently, yeah. Yeah, and are you also teaching that in New Orleans, or are you I teaching sure. a different I subject? I teaching U.S. history here, um, so that was, it's been it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, I um, actually spent one summer a while back in New Orleans, and it was the summer that I that I actually chose to become a teacher, but um, I didn't actually teach there mm -hmm. during the school year. I'd love to know how you got to New Orleans, and then also, you know, obviously there's huge differences. So can you characterize the differences between the Bay Area and, and New Orleans? Sure. So I can't explain it more than... I came to New Orleans for spring break last spring. Um, I've been watching Top Chef, and this season was New Orleans, and I was, I've always wanted to come, but then I was like, heck yes, I'm finally going to buy the ticket. I want to experience all the good food and music. Um, and so I came for spring break, and I fell in love with those things, the music, the food, the people. And um, I've always lived in California, so I wanted to change a pace. I wanted to try it out. So I decided to move to New Orleans and I made it happen. That's, that's <laughs> pretty exciting. And um, I'm sure it's different. And how has it been different for yeah, you? Um, besides everyone being so friendly, I thought I was a friendly person in California and I didn't notice anything. You know, people always describe people on the East Coast being a little less uh, 
friendly, talkative in, in California, but everyone in New Orleans is really friendly, ready to have a conversation. Everyone says hello to each other. Um, and the community is great. I love the, the community of the uh, students and families that I'm working with. Um, as far as education, what I didn't realize, right, as a teacher, when you go in, you know that uh, in today's climate, there's just going to be tests that you have to understand and work towards. Um, but in Louisiana, there's these state tests that are very much more specific and uh, kind of make it so you have to have a bit more of a rigid curriculum than I have ever experienced. So that's been the biggest transition and hardest part, I think, of uh, being a social studies teacher down here. Yeah, I did hear also about how New Orleans, they're really pushing testing. Um, and do you feel like, is that part of just uh, post-Katrina, there's this sense that uh, the students have to sort of make gains um, on these tests? Or is it something else? Um, you know, so when I came down here, I started hearing that, the because what's in New Orleans that's a little bit special compared to the rest of Louisiana is New Orleans now, I believe, only has two or three public schools in Orleans Parish, which is like a, the county. Um, there are still public schools in the nearby parishes, Jefferson Parish, Monroe, all these different places. Um, but in New Orleans, there's charters. And yeah, it's definitely about the tests are really important to the schools because that's how they get the funding. Um, I don't know that it's specific to New Orleans um, and just New Orleans versus the whole state um, because there are these standardized tests that students have to pass. I mean, given that you you came from a mm -hmm. charter in the Bay Area, um, do you feel, because I'm very interested in what does it feel like to be like in a city where the sense of the traditional public school system is no longer. And I know that's also happening in mm -hmm. Detroit, for example. Is there a sense among families and students that everybody just goes to a charter school or or is it just normal? I um, I think I would say it's just normal, especially with the population of students I serve. Um, what I did notice here, and you know, this I felt when I made this realization when I got here, I was like, oh, that's a little bit naive of you, um, is that the schooling system still feels very segregated because actually, yes, there's the charters, but a lot of students, particularly what I'm talking, I'm talking about white students, white families um, that have money that are able to afford it, send their kids to private schools, the private, particularly private Catholic schools around here. Um, when I was looking, for jobs, that's what I noticed just from the websites and the teachers and different demographics um, where everyone else in the city, yeah, goes to a charter school. It's expected. They have one app where they put in one application and then rank the schools that they would like to go to and end up, I believe, in their top three is what they advertise. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's actually similar to San Francisco, but in San Francisco, there's this attempt to try to desegregate, which I would feel like in New Orleans is maybe impossible at this point. I mean, have you noticed that that the students at your school, uh, have they ever sort of gone to uh, a non-segregated um, school? Not that I've noticed. And I mean, that's the thing is the school that I'm at is I've, I don't know if I'm exaggerating if I say 98 to 99% African-American students. Um, so I think that's what they've always experienced, though. There are, I would say there are a couple of charters that are a little bit more diverse, in it, but not by much. Yeah. And what is something this year that you feel like you've really enjoyed teaching, um, especially because you are sort of like <laughs> an outsider? And so, and you also 
also the sense of the test. Uh, has it has it been possible to teach something in your classes that you have that you have found rewarding? More, I think, in skill based things versus topics, um, which is hard because that's a big reason that I went <laughs> into teaching. Definitely getting the students to engage with text is something that they're pushing for, but I think because luckily of the school that I worked at, I was able to incorporate it um, a little bit more and how we look at primary and secondary. So, um, yeah, I always when talking about like Japanese internment during World War II, that was something that we got to look at some primary source documents um, that got the kids really involved and engaged. But, you know, it's it's interesting. The kids have had really great teachers um, because they keep asking me, well, Ms. Morales, when are you going to start teaching more about uh, like black leaders during this movement or African-American um, figures from this movement? I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys are totally right. <laughs> and that's something that I've always tried to commit myself to is representing more people of color in our um, in U.S. history. But it's just um, I think that as a new teacher here, I got caught up in trying to learn all about the standardized test. And it's very much like, here's the 250 terms that are going to be on the test. Um, and this is what the students need to know. So I've been definitely caught up in that. It's so crazy how, I mean, I'm not uh, an opponent of standardized tests. I do find that there's value, but it's so crazy when some of the content on a standardized test is just so opposite of maybe the kind of curriculum, especially around primary documents that you're trying to um, that you're trying to instill mm -hmm. with your students. Definitely. I mean, are you able to? To push your students also to to read a whole lot in uh, in the history and social studies classes, or is that hard given that you're supposed to cover I, a lot? You know, it's, it's been really difficult because of the amount that we need to cover. I mean, even our coach, who is amazing, what they've created are these tools of like how basically how do you get pull information from the textbooks easier. So that way you can cover as much as you can. Um, and those are, those are the kinds of tools that I'm given um, with the students. So it's, it's been an interesting shift for sure. Yeah, I have this secret um, dream that teachers would start assi assigning the <laughs> highlighter to their students. I think that that would be great. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's been so great because like you were an early subscriber, and it just seems like you've been very enthusiastic about the highlighter. I want to thank you. I mean, what draws you to um, it? Well, I think because I'm so busy worrying about how I'm going to get all of these students to pass this test. Um, no, it's been great having a weekly email that has these articles that center around a lot of things I'm interested in, um, and a lot of times you'll put things in that I didn't think I'd be interested in. What was one from a bit ago? It's about fruit, maybe about oranges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do have a fascination <laughs> with fruit. So um, I really appreciate that. And it just makes it easy. And I love your personal touches on when you give a little synopsis of the articles. Um, and also, you know, every week I need to see people's pets. So I have to keep tuning in. Yeah, you know, th those go in waves. But yeah, the last couple, there have been some really <laughs> great pets in there. So uh, good, good work on the pets. Um, so it seems like you like articles about maybe where our nation is going, uh, especially with regard to issues of race. Would that be inaccurate? Uh, definitely. That would definitely be accurate. <laughs> I, I find that I will definitely, when you have those citrus articles, I try to read those. But 
I often will gravitate towards the issues on race. Yeah, for for me, what I'm noticing, especially over the last month or so, maybe because uh, as a white man, I'm trying to like figure out exactly what happens to regular white people and why, you know, they're be you know why they're becoming um, American Nazis and and white supremacists and and yet I know like that's just part of what's going on and um, but it's still very intriguing. It seems like I can't stop reading. <laughs> like which 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 kinds of articles are you finding are are ones that you're obsessing about? Um. I would say very similar to your own, like how, how and why do people have these opinions and feelings? Um, and, and which is interesting, I think it stems from being an educator and the students that I work with and serve and almost feeling very, I mean, I think I talked about it a little bit um, with some friends is that, and it keeps coming up that teaching is in itself very political and especially in the way that you decide to teach it. Um, and a part of it too is like feeling very protective of the students that I serve. So like really trying to figure out why things are happening the way that they're happening. And um, I'm wondering too, like now that I've moved to the South, I'm wondering too, is it just something kind of like they made fun of after the election, right? That people are like, how did this happen um, when it was, has been happening? So sorry, that was just a, a roundabout answer saying, I, I think definitely yeah the trying to the understanding of why things are happening and we're allowing um allowing them to yeah and i i like your point also about how it has been happening and and just because maybe liberal circles or white liberal circles might be catching on you know it, it's not like this is anything totally new and i maybe maybe that's what the shock is especially among <laughs> liberal liberal people in the bay area right uh, I mean, what what do your students think? I mean, do they sort of think that it's just more of the same or are they also shocked? You know, I, I frequently have two young men are, that are like, when are we going to impeach <laughs> Trump and um, that sentiment? But uh, when I do try to talk to students about race, it, it feels like the feeling is like, oh, we have to talk about this all of the time. Why do we have to keep talking about this? So it might be kind of more of the same, but now it's just highlighted things that they've been seeing. Yeah, I've also noticed that too in the classrooms that I'm in. Um, some students are saying this is too much and they're saying it's too much, but they're actually saying we want more and mm -hmm. we want to we want a way through this. And mm -hmm. what, I'm, what I'm noticing with students, uh, with teachers that I'm working with is actually to the degree that teachers can offer a language mm -hmm. uh, to students to, to sort of um, make meaning of what's going on, that's sort of what the students are craving. Students, yeah. don't, students don't want to just go through all their emotions every single time, <laughs> you know, for, for random teachers, but they do want to be able to have the language to explain some of the larger forces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting, too, is I really did connect with the second article. You said that um, when we chatted earlier, you said that you were uh, that you were reading it, The Nationalist Delusion. Mm -hmm. And I totally was interested in this because it did remind me of some people that I've been talking to, which is, no, we're not actual total racists, but we happen to have voted for a racist president. Or like, oh, you know, I'm a white person and I'm not racist, even though I totally think that people of color are others. 
Mm -hmm. And I just find it so fascinating because like, it just suggests that perhaps having conversations across difference aren't necessarily going to be that easy. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I read it because I wanted to, it goes back to that wanting to understand. And some of the things that came up when I was reading it, it kind of like we have just been saying of um, trying to understand, maybe it's something that was already there. Like when he talks, goes into uh, talking about the economic anxiety of people who voted for Trump and just these different justifications. Um, and then as I was reading it, I was just kind of thinking of things that have come up here around that of people justifying that, you know, wanting it to be not saying they are racist, right, but invoking these things that have that they were used to in the past. So, yeah, have you have you had a chance to sort of talk to anybody down there and sort of what their views are of Trump? Yeah. And that's why I really enjoyed this article. It really spoke to me because they did bring up that idea of a lot of people's justification of that uh, economic anxiety um, and citing that. Um, and so I do, I, it's interesting cause I, I play rugby, um, and I play rugby down here. Now, the point of this is that often in rugby, if people don't know, there's often many queer women who play, um, no exception to the rule here in new Orleans. And one of the women on the team, she's a white woman who is queer has been, well, I don't know if she identifies that, but, um, it's a lesbian has been dating a woman for the past however many years um and when i was asking her about that or probing her about that um her vote why she voted for trump um she said it has nothing to do with immigration or anything it's all about the economics um and i think that he would put these policies in place that would help businesses in the u.s more and so that's what i've encountered a lot of um down here so Never really. I think that some people are maybe afraid to have those conversations with me or don't feel that they can open up to me because I am a woman of color. Um, so I'd be interested to see, you know, with more time, what those conversations could lead to. It seems like you're open to them, though. I mean, yeah. I would think I would think that they're not easy. What what makes you um, interested in those kinds of dialogues? Um, my initial re reaction was to to say, like, how can I figure out a way to have these people change? <laughs> um, but I think a lot of that requires listening and understanding perspectives. And I think obviously it would have been harder if their response had been like, because I don't trust Mexicans or immigrants or right. So if they had come from a different angle, I'm sure that the conversation might have been shorter or harder, more difficult to have. But I just, I, I want to understand. And so I think listening and starting those conversations are the easiest way for me. Yeah, I think that unfortunately we might know that if we just say what our viewpoints are, nothing's going to change. Right. But, um, but I think what I worry about is that if I listen much, then it may validate sort of their, their opinions more. Are you ever worried about that? I guess I'm, I'm an active listener, but I, I do definitely, I would hope that I would interject if I feel like there was a pushback. And some of the times I do, right, depending on what it is about, but um, just nothing has ever come up. But I, I, I feel like I do ask questions and um, I think background is really important to understand. So kind of where did you come from? Where have you been? Um, are questions that I get into. And so sometimes, right, you get sidetracked and the conversation goes a totally different way. Yeah, I think that 
Yeah, I think folks are just ready for somebody else to disagree with them. So they have lots mm-hmm. of barriers and shields mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So when anybody sort of just says, hey, tell me more about that, then it might make them a little bit more vulnerable. Right. Uh, I guess it's, I mean, what's interesting to me is that you are currently in a state where it might <laughs> actually matter, where there actually is hope, whereas, you know, there's probably some other states where having conversations wouldn't necessarily even do anything. Yeah, and, and I think too, though, New Orleans is a bubble in itself. I haven't traveled much outside of New I mean, well, actually, you know what? I went to an LSU game. <laughs> and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I went to an LSU game. It's in Baton Rouge. Um, and just was real surprised about the sea of faces. I did not realize that it was majority white students. Um, in fact, I felt like the only brown face in the tailgating part. There were definitely African-American athletes. Um, but what I saw was a lot more Trump flags in the during the tailgate that people like put them up with their LSU flag. And so that was interesting that um, I see because I'll, I'll see some sometimes um, driving through the city, but more on the outskirts. So it's interesting. Has it ever gotten to a place of feeling um, a lack of safety for you? Not that. Uh, no. But I think because of the fact that I always am with white people when I'm going to these events, never by myself. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think it is because I am with people. And I wonder how I would feel if I was by myself or with another woman of color by ourselves in these situations. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I wanted to also ask you, is it okay to, about, uh, about teacher beasts? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, we had Erin on the show a while back, and she is the other uh, teacher beast in your duo. And can you say a little bit about what it is? Sure. Erin uh, and I, were, we were in summer school one summer, and kind of, it was after school, and we were a little bored and had been talking about our fitness things that we were trying and trying to eat right and be healthy. And so we decided to be fun to start an Instagram that followed that journey. And it's been really great because it holds us accountable. And it's really fun because we're, you know, we're teachers just trying to <laughs> trying to be healthy when we can um, with the time that we got and the dollars that we have. Um, but it's also been really cool because now um, that I'm in another state, it's like a long distance friendship thing. I get to see when Erin works out and she's actually been putting me to shame. Um, motivates me to make sure I'm working out and trying to eat right when I can. <laughs> uh, have you noticed that your exercise has shifted now that it might be more humid? Oh my goodness. Um, yes. It's, it, it's hard though. Cause in the summer I was like trying to get up real early and run, but it did not make a difference. It was already <laughs> real hot. I think it's hard to say because I was playing rugby, which is something I did. And it's kind of, you just play in the conditions you have. But I'm trying to think, I think just because I'm working at a new school, it's been harder to get myself out there. And I'm coaching, which has been a fun little way to run around with my uh, players. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> seems that um, that you're staying pretty active. And you're also big on Instagram. Um, <laughs> you're, you're at uh, teacher underscore beasts, and you mm-hmm. have tons of followers. I hope that you get mm-hmm. more followers. 
Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, do you have some big goals for the, the new year coming up for teachers and how they should be? Like, what is your biggest, what is the biggest tip for teachers? You know, everybody works so hard. Everybody is eating cake and cookies. And <laughs> what's your sort of tip for teachers? Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned is be nice to yourself and do what you can do. And what really helped me with the teacher based thing is like find a buddy, find a buddy who has similar goals of even if it's just like being more active um, to text each other and be like, hey, do you want to go for a run? <laughs> even if it's before happy hour, which Aaron and I used to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, and a big thing that I really enjoyed doing last year that really cut down on time was meal prepping. Um, and using my crock pot to do that because you just throw a bunch of ingredients in the crock pot and then you have meals for the week. Yeah, I think it's great. And especially, I feel like more teachers now are starting to take care of themselves than maybe even five years ago. And that's sort of like the last question that I wanted to ask you because mm -hmm. you are a brilliant and also very passionate uh, teacher who cares deeply about young people. And it also seems like you have achieved not just success in the classroom, but also balance. And so what would you say, especially because you're not a total newbie at the teaching thing, but you also haven't been in there for so, so long. What would you say to folks who now that it's, we're going into November and December, um, how do you balance both really giving it your all for your students as well as giving it your all for yourself? Mm -hmm. I, that's a really great question. I think kind of back to my original tip of being nice to yourself <laughs> um, and cutting yourself slack because as a teacher, right, everyone's doing everything they absolutely can to make sure the students are getting all the tools and resources they need. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes you don't get to grade something and letting that be okay. <laughs> um, and then I, and working with people to figure out ways that um, will make it more engaging and also more efficient for you as a teacher sometimes. Um, there's just so many tools out there. So I think that's been really helpful to me. Um, and yeah, just making time for getting to see friends and family um, and doing things that you love, whether it be reading or cooking or different things. But yeah, I think the big thing is like, give yourself a break, be nice to yourself. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Olivia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You've been great. And I just thank you so much. Of course. I was uh, really happy to do it and feel like a celebrity now. You Well, you are. You're even a bigger <laughs> celebrity now. So thank you. Hope you enjoyed listening to Olivia. I certainly love talking to her. One of the best things about this podcast is I get to talk to some of the best people from across the country um, about topics that we should be talking about. So I'm totally happy that you listened. And if you do have any feedback, please email me at mark at highlighter.cc. I definitely want to make this podcast even better. At this point, I'd like to say that you should have a wonderful week and be looking for the Highlighter newsletter coming out yet again this Thursday at 9, 10 a.m. Have a wonderful week, everybody.